Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is a global original podcast. I'm Al, that's JK, and this is the Don't Tell Your Mum podcast. Coming up on today's episode, we have got a legend, a living legend joining us. Gold medal winner. Uh, He's done incredible endurance challenges, including cycling across the USA. Uh, Anyway, I feel like I could go on and do like the whole boxing announcement uh, type intro. But we've got James Cracknell joining us on the Don't Tell Your Mum podcast today. So make sure that you stay tuned for that in a few minutes time. Well, what else are we going to do till then? I thought we'd just catch up. See how you're doing. Oh, you okay. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, see, that's what I like about you. You like the pleasantries, which is always nice. Um, I know. Here's, here's a funny story for you. I'll just pull it up in front of me so I'll make sure I quote it correctly. Whenever someone's online or in the public eye, even on, on a small level, there's an element where you get some people commenting who are negative, shall we say. The mood hoovers. The Mood Hoovers, exactly that. Well, someone's posted this on social media saying, um, talking about Don't Tell Your Mum, saying, this is an example of Al riding on the coattails of Heart DJ JK. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank God someone's found out the truth. That's all I I can say. Finally, finally, (laughs) it's been revealed. (laughs) Oh, mate, I just don't listen. The haters going to hate, 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 hate. You know what I mean? They're just... And let's be honest, my, my coats aren't, aren't long enough to to hang on because I don't but, wear long coats because I'm a short ass and it makes me exactly. look stupid. So I don't, ha- I don't even have long coat tails. If you did it, they'd be dragging along the floor, mate. <laughs> they really would. They absolutely <laughs> would. Oh, so who was it that said that? Was it, um, was it me? <laughs> <laughs> it probably was. Or Charlie. I might have got drunk <laughs> one. I, I might have got drunk one night, didn't I? And I, I just, nowadays, I'm getting older. My memory's not as good. I'm probably drinking a bit more. I, I, I may have done it. I may not. I don't know. Look, I I'll love po- that. I'll apologise just in case I did. All right. That, that's all I can say. I can picture you at home going, you're the bloody owl. He's such a oh, stupid, stupid. Oh, Oh, babe, don't try and take my phone off me because I'm just going to do it. I'm going to yeah. tell him what for. How <laughs> coattails, are they one word or is that two separate words? <laughs> hoatails. He's going to be holding on to my hoatails. He's holding on to my hoatails, he is. <laughs> yeah. I think I've had enough. Yeah. Right, I'm going to anyway. bed, babe. I'm going to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Anyway, it's all good fun. I don't mind. Um, so we've got James Cranell coming out. Let's, let's not delay um, any longer, but it's, it's, we know, we know James a little bit because he came and did something for dad's net. Um, 
at the back end of last year. And he's, he's inspirational anyway. Like his life is truly inspirational. But when he starts talking about openly about like his father about being a dad it's it's another level and that's why we wanted to welcome him back to the don't any run podcast because yeah he's he's got a lot of learnings that he's taken over the years and and there's a lot that i learned the first time chatting to him so yeah i'm looking forward to uh to chatting again it's also fair to say that there's a similarity between uh james and david seaman who we chatted to not so long ago on the podcast both elite sportsmen and both sort of struggled with the, the parenting thing but let's look let's get into it let's chat to Hang him on, mate. you just you just said david seaman did i say david seaman I meant David James. <laughs> no, you said that's a similar between David James and David Seaman. Is that what I said? And James Cracknell. There's so many names muddled up here. Uh, that, that JK is, is hanging off the coattails yeah, of that. Yeah, take that, you Al troll. Who's the real talent here? I don't get names muddled up. Oh, yeah. Again, I told you, I'm drinking too much. I'm getting older. The memory's crap. <laughs> Welcome, James. Like, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for giving up a bit of time during the day. Um, how's it going? Yes, well, that's, that's very nice to say give up time. That's the one thing a lot of us have right now is uh, is plenty of time. Uh, it's true. We're looking for I things think, to do, aren't we? Yeah, I think like most people, it's you know, the third version of lockdown. And then whenever I've been doing something, whether it be a long training camp or a long, a long trip, when the final day is in sight that that day start to drag as you look to that rather than living in the the moment of each day so i think now there are a couple of goalposts up i think every day is dragging a bit more as people go well it's this long till the shop's open the restaurant's open yeah. the pub's open school's open that you suddenly the hours seem a bit longer for everyone how's the home learning gone because you've got th- three children isn't it yeah i've got i've got three kids but um because my wife and i are separated i don't bear the the brunt of homeschooling. Mm. I, if I'm honest, I bear the brunt of the frustration of homeschooling. Right. <laughs> and then I used to be a geography teacher back in the days. I didn't know that you two both, so you two have a, you know, a bit of a, something in common. You have a link. You both were teachers. Yeah. So what did you teach now? Well, I was primary. So I did a bit of everything. I had, my specialism was PE, which at primary pretty much counted for nothing. <laughs> uh, it, it basically meant like they had someone free to run the football team. That was the, that was the extent of it. But it did mean you had a more relaxed dress code. Well, so I, oh, I played on that like nobody's business because, they're, they're, you know, I'll be wearing shorts and a T-shirt and they'll be like, are you doing PE today? I'll be like, uh, yeah, 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 definitely. definitely <laughs> Isn't it fair yeah, to I'm say as well that the PE teacher always got a bit more attention? I remember um, at our school, our PE teacher, I won't name him, but he really fancied the English teacher at the time. And I we, we would see them flirting, you know, loads. And he actually, he did get quite a lot of attention. So the the PE teacher usually, that's not, it's not a bad place to be at. Yeah, well, I, that, I, I met Jen at school. Like, oh, there you we, go. We end up getting married. <laughs> <laughs> Need I say more? It works, James. You, I mean, obviously, you've done some quite incredible adventures and challenges, you know, over over the years. I mean, and obviously, they've been all around the world. Is that was that inspired? I mean, going into geography teaching, presumably, you had an interest in geography. Did were you kind of able to? quench that thirst for you know your your interest in geography whilst you were also doing your adventures in america and wherever else well i think in in terms of the sport that 
an endurance sport, you you get benefit from altitude training, and obviously the sport I did in in rowing is is on big lakes. So to have benefit of altitude training, you have to be above two thousand meters. So you're insulating the mountains, mm. and you know, they are a phenomenal place to be when you're up there. There's people cycling up there, people walking up there. If you're there in the summer, you've you've still got down on mountain bike or whatever else is going on, and you can see the ski lifts for the winter. And we used to go training in Saint Moritz, which is a flashy uh, Swiss ski resort. There's a couple of Bond films set there, and I remember we're sitting on the rowing machines, looking out on everyone else downhill skiing, going, "We are so doing the wrong sport." <laughs> um, but it does give you a. a you know, and then you're rowing in lakes in the summer amongst mountains on uh, sea level, you know, the wonder of of the world around us. And then geography comes into play in terms of, say, I did a, a long trip to the South Pole and the effects of, and the size of it, you know, I, I guess the long way saying in sport you are, it's a very sterile environment, you know, whether home or away football pitch is always going to be same dimension, same, pretty much same stadium. Mm. A rowing lake's 2,000 metres long and, you know, it changes the location, but it's still that. Whereas when I rode across the Atlantic, you're a small dot on a tiny landscape. And then going to Antarctica, you are you know, some of the most isolated people on earth. And, and when geography comes in is that, so Antarctica, this is where it is useful, you know, telling the kids and just getting them to understand it with examples, you know, not from polar bears on the top, penguins on the bottom, you know, but that 40% of the world's fresh water is frozen in Antarctica. Oh, and so wow. if Antarctica melted, global sea levels would rise by 50 metres. So you think London's six metres above sea level, it would be 46 metres underneath the sea. Jeez. And that's the scale of the place. And Antarctica is the highest altitude, it's the highest average continent on Earth because all the mountains are frozen under a mile of ice. So you just mm. suddenly you, you go to a place like that, you have a, a real scale of the, of the Earth that you don't get from sort of the narrow corridors of life that we live in. Yeah. When, when you're there, do you, when you when you sort of you like you see, you know, you, you said that you were that sort of dot on the landscape. How do you feel? Are you, are you are you terrified? Are you excited? Is it a combination of both? I guess a lot of our images of Antarctica are based on what we heard about Scott and Amundsen and Shackleton of what they endured when they went there, and so. When they went to the South Pole, they had to overwinter so they could then get the 24-hour sunlight. So they, they did you know, six months there and it was pitch black all the time. And then as soon as the sun started to come up, then they could head off to the South Pole. And then when they got to the South Pole, they had to make their way back to the coast to get the boat back. Whereas with booted flying in, you could then actually get a plane out from the South Pole. So you have a, a different perspective of the, of the challenges. I mean, they're still... I went there and, and did a race. So you're still having to battle fatigue and everything else and hunger and what you can pull because it was an unsupported race. But the daily issues of getting dressed. So they, when they went to Antarctica, there was no Velcro, there was no zips. So everything they did was button and, and drawstring and then it's all frozen. And then they didn't have the, the modern food. They did on pemmican, which is this whole, whole sort of fat, as basically... Per every gram you carry, you have as many calories as possible. But they didn't have dehydrated food, mm. and they didn't have light fuels and light stoves. And, and we were eating. We were about six weeks, and we were eating eight thousand calories a day. And I started the trip at about hundred kilos, and I got to the South Pole. as a big American base there, and I was seventy-five kilos. And and we didn't have to walk back. We could get a plane out. You think that's when you put into perception of what these guys did. 
taking two hours to get dressed because A, their clothes are frozen, B, it was all laces and buttons rather than venting right. when you're playing along. So it's just it's just amazing how how resilient they were. And then you read Scott's diaries and what they've worked out about Scott is that they were on a 1,800 calorific deficit a day. Wow. You think we're supposed to eat 2,000 calories a day as, as average man. So they were, that's how tired and run down and everything else they would have been when they got there and then they had to go all the way back. It's insane. I mean, I think my lockdown diet has been about 8,000 calories a day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't have the deficit, unfortunately. It's a long way from the sofa to the fridge. Though. It is. <laughs> talking to me, did anyone see that, uh, that documentary on Everest last night talking about the Sherpas and stuff like that and how they, they are like superhuman? with mm-hmm. what they have to do at altitude. And they, they showed this incredible um, picture of when there's a certain time that people want to climb Everest. I think it's sort of May time when the April, May, April, May, isn't it? Just cause it's, well, it's, it's a better climate. It's warmer. The winds aren't so ferocious. I think it's about 170 miles per hour winds or something like that up there. And um, they, they showed this picture of the queue to get to the summit of Everest of about 200 people. And it just blew my mind. You know what I mean? This is a place that's, that doesn't, really, well, what, for the last hundred years or so hasn't been inhabited that much. And now people are queuing mm. to get to the summit and people are you, dying in the queue because they're running out of oxygen. It's yeah, crazy. Have, have you ever been tempted to take on Everest, James? I would love to see the, uh, the view from up there. Um, there's many places I would choose to see in the world before before Everest. It's also uh, going over 8,000 metres you know, is not sustainable for life, so it's not particularly healthy. And then you know, the, in terms of the death, 75% of people die on the way down. So it's, <laughs> it's all about having the right people to make the right decisions. And you know, I had a nasty accident um, you know, 10 years ago, and I think if anyone who's – I was a day away from not seeing – my kids again and so to put yourself in a situation where mm. you are in nature's uh, the sort of mercy of nature at that height irrespective of how good your guide or sherpas are it's it may not be the best thing but it's it, it will give you a certain sense of wonder of, of what the world's like now obviously you talked about about the accident has that impacted on on what you feel you can do in the future now uh, no, not physically. Um, well, okay. The humans aren't supposed to go over 8,000 metres. So having had the, the neurology said, I wouldn't go over 8,000 metres. And I'm like, okay, there's only like about three mountains over that. So <laughs> I think I'll manage. <laughs> I dive under 40 metres under the sea. And I'm like, okay, if those are my barriers, I can live with that. And then it's just, you know, the reality is time away from, from home. Yeah. I was being serious about if you're going to spend time away from your kids, yes, I'm so crazy, but time away from your kids, there has to be a really good reason to do it yourself in certain risks although nothing i've done has been adrenaline based this it still makes you you question it and you know, the accident i had was actually on a public highway and i got hit by a truck and it wasn't my fault but so you're always but you're still putting yourself in a situation you wouldn't be normally and i think those things have to cross the mind when you get to a to a certain age certain, certain responsibilities mm. things you your kids do and for those of you that don't know i know james touched on it but just if, if you are listening so you were you were filming for the discovery channel is that is that right and you got hit by a lorry and is it in arizona i was doing sort of endurance travel from one side of the states to the other and uh, so i'd been through death valley, actually ran the big chunk of death valley which is an amazing place mm. people go to the the highest place to everest but then you know Furnace Creek is the hottest place on earth. And it is amazing. There's the salt plains out there, just the heat of it. The, you know, the science saying turn your 
air conditioning off just in case you run out of petrol. It's just it's a brutally hot place. And then I was cycling from up Route 66, which is the, the mother road. And so going from there um, up to Chicago, going through Arizona. And then I got a uh, wind of a fuel truck hit me as it was overtaking me. It's wind where it hit me on the head. And then I was helicoptered to the hospital in Arizona and I don't really remember, I don't remember anything for the next, well, I was in a coma for a couple of weeks and I don't remember anything for the, for the next four or five weeks. So I was, I was very lucky. You know, I could have been thrown under the bus, under the truck rather than away from it. Was it, it oncoming or? No, it was behind me. So it, went, it was overtaking me. So it's wind where it clipped my helmet. I don't really know what the, well, the driver was in a bit of trouble, but that was. But that's. Yeah. But also, can we just say that is a, a wing mirror clipping your head, and you were wearing a helmet. You know, you would think if anyone said that, you think you should be all right after that. But I mean, that's just mad. I mean, I wouldn't be all right if I wasn't wearing a helmet. And I guess I was doing twenty, and he was doing sixty. So mm. it's a forty mile an hour impact from his wing mirror, and then I could have gone either way. You know, my. Mm-hmm. My helmet still like had two massive cracks in it, but it, was, you could, it wasn't like obliterated. Have you um, still got the helmet? I'm sure I've got it somewhere, but I, I haven't kept it as a souvenir. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> yeah, yeah. It's more for the insurance claim, I imagine. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh. and and what, so after that, how how is your how is your health now? Are there, are there any sort of repercussions of this? The only long term is epilepsy, of which I've been seizure free for six years. Wow. So, July. Um, but the stress that causes initially, so I had a couple of seizures, and after every seizure, you then can't drive for a year. And so when you've got three kids, and suddenly you can't take them to school, in the, you know, so I ended up getting a trike with a big basket on the front, you know, so I could herd them all in. But <laughs> you just that, that place is added stress to every aspect of your life. But mm. aside from that, no, I'm very, I'm incredibly lucky. Obviously, that accident happened. We've talked about this before, but that that accident happened at quite a pivotal moment. You know, you're very young, a young family. I think your daughters, what was one of them uh, on the way? Uh, not, not, yes. yeah. So I think that was six. Kiki was was one, and Beth found out she was pregnant when I was in a coma. So, so that's, I mean, that's an unbelievable, you know, time to go through that accident you know obviously then therefore had a big impact because you like you say when you were coming out of that uh you know on in that recovery the impact that had on being dad and being partner or husband you know was was quite profound right absolutely and it's also when your your partner's pregnant at the same time as well there's the stresses from her the support that she needs the hormones there um then also two kids as well, as well as the, the one incubating. So it is, it is stress. You know? I think, you know, irrespective of whether you're recovered from an accident or not, two kids and pregnant with a third makes for a fairly frantic house. And so added to that, other issues, it's, it's tough. And that's where communication is absolutely key and honest communication. And it wasn't until later we realised that we didn't, we didn't speak enough about and actually, it's how a lot of sympathy goes to you, whereas the person supporting the person who's been in an accident is actually bearing a lot of the brunt of the work and sort of feels ignored and underappreciated. And then in combination with that, the person who has had the accident is not himself, less empathetic than normal, everything else. So it just creates a whole vicious downwards circle and it, you need people around you, close to you, to, to keep you on the straight and narrow.
It's really yeah. strange. We we spoke to um, uh, to David James not so long ago. Was it a couple of weeks ago now? And and David's basically said that um, you know his being. Did David say he was lucky as hell to beat me in the dance off in Strictly? No, but he did. <laughs> sh- <laughs> but he did show us a painting that he's done that he's painted himself of you with. I think it was the bike Battersea Bridge, and he hasn't even delivered it to you yet. I haven't even seen it yet. Oh, oh we've my seen god, it. it's really good. We've seen Very it. Flattering. I think he is one talented fella. Yeah. yeah. So Apart he's from being an amazing dancer, otherwise he'd never have been me. <laughs> obviously a huge talented sportsman and incredibly artistic. Yeah, he's he did show me some of the pictures he's done. It's phenomenal. We've yeah. I'll find a screen grab in a second, so you'll be able to see it oh, now cool. via Zoom of what he's done for you. So um, he was very proud as soon as because we mentioned your name during the, the actual interview and we said that we're interviewing James and he went he went James Cracknell. And then he said, wait there a minute. And yeah. he went off. And we have no and idea what's going with on. with this great big painting of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll find a screen grab in a minute. I'll show you. But he was basically saying how he believes that being a professional sportsman, an elite sportsman at the top of his game, you know, the top, for, you know, playing for his country, he kind of said that it, it, it basically impacted on how he was as a dad. He, he, well, he openly said, didn't he, Al, that, you know, he, he said he wasn't a great dad because he wanted to be the best at his, you know, at his sport. How, how do you feel about that? Would you, would you say there's a similar thing there or not so much? It's very difficult to compare playing for England and a premiership footballer when, you know, you're in a stadium wherever Anfield was, you know, 70,000 people and you've got a kit man lays your kit out for you. You know, you just, it's a whole different world from where we were, where no one was watching us. Apart from the same guy might walk his dog down the river and give you a wave. That's about <laughs> it. And we only race four times a year. But the the thing where it, that is the same is that what it is, it's a get out of jail free card doing sport at that level because if you don't, if you can always find an excuse not to do something. If your girlfriend goes, do you want to have dinner with me and my mates tonight? And then you, you think, oh, they're quite boring. I don't want to. Then you can you always, yeah, I've got a, got a game tomorrow. I've got a big training. You know, it's a, you, and so people understand that that is that's important. So much like the World Cup or the Premier League or whatever JMO's excuse would have been, it was one that people understood. And the, the Olympics is a four-year get-out-of-jail-free card for getting out of social situations you don't want to do. But when it comes to being a parent, I, I got better as time went on at leaving issues with sport at the boathouse rather than sort of bringing it... Because you can't do anything about it until the next day. But when your focus is on you know, a big, important thing, then it, it's, sort of, it's difficult to do that. But I got better at that. And then I, I think the one thing I was really guilty at was being present in the room physically I made sure I was around as much as I could be being present in the room physically but not always there mentally so I was going part of it was ticking the box of being a dad and being around but there's a difference to being around and being in the room mentally and I think that's where if I could go back and do it again that's what I would do differently I don't think it was necessarily a lack of time I think it was just a lack of real focus and, and since separating you know, I think I was telling Al we last spoke is that actually you see them for a much less frequently. And so you make sure every bit of time you have with them is filled out properly rather than 
getting there and then going, what should we do? You've kind of had something, a few options planned out. And I think that's, that is something I would do differently. Yeah. There are definitely similarities there. I mean, David James, he was saying the same thing about being there, there physically, but not mentally. And actually I can imagine that being very different when you are an elite athlete, but I think a lot of dads can, that will resonate with a lot of dads, whether it's they're stressing about work or, mm you know, paying the bills or whatever they've got going on. Sometimes you are there with your kids physically, but, but a long way away mentally. And, and I mean, I'm speaking. Sorry, sorry to not tell, but I think especially over the last year, mm. my, my man was saying that we were talking about how long the commute was and why he did, did it when he, you know, and he was just saying that commute got the office out of my head. So when I was home, I was home. Mm. Whereas for the last year, people have been working from home. So going into family life, they've just left one room and walked into another. And all the problems, as you mentioned, from work are still there in their head yeah. when they're with the family. And that, that's got to be a much, much harder situation. And also I did a, min- a real minority sport and was not really around the world of social media. But being a, you know, like, like JMO, being a footballer in the world where people are just giving you abuse all the time, that can't be healthy. No. You know? If you've had a, your, your team could have won 3-1, but you're still getting pilloried for the one that you let in. Yeah. Um, and then you, how do you switch that off, that side of your head off when you're at home going, and all this is going around your head, and then you're right, I've got to be with the kids. Now. I think you'd have to be quite psychopathic to totally turn off one side to turn on the other. Yeah. Mm. He was also saying, wasn't he? He was talking about how it wasn't. So he got to a point where he could take the, you know, the 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 abuse in the street. Well, to a point, he was sort of like saying it was when his, you know, when his one of his kids would come back home and say, you know, he got he got bullied because David let a goal in, whichever you know, whichever it was. That was that was where he found life the hardest. I think I, I can totally understand that. Yeah. It's, again, it's luckily the only and that profile is is incredible, is totally different, but. The other side of it is perceptions of your child based on what your parents do. J.K. Rowling's kid in an English class is going to be under so much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> My lad will be under pressure for everything. Uh, and yeah. has he expressed that? Bill, has Bill he said Gates, that? Bill Gates' kids must have been in a horrible time in computer science? <laughs> <laughs> so it's that element of it that. There's, I think, yeah, there's definite assumption that, I mean, he's lucky in that the sport I did is not one that people start off in school. And if I'm brutally honest, the people who are good at rowing are generally not very good at other sports because it requires the ability to be bored and quite uncoordinated, but have big lungs. That's generally it. Whereas, <laughs> talk about Jamie, his sport requires a lot of coordination and that clearly, that's not my sweet spot. So <laughs> it's, 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 he, didn't, he didn't really suffer it in, in the same way as... Broken back so you know obviously now getting engaged you know you feel like you know it's you've spent 10 years kind of coming from somewhere really low just to now kind of being in a position where you know everything's coming together is that fair yeah no i think the you know in terms of you know, taking it, it back to the actual rehabilitation or you know, recovery side of it wasn't uh, I had great support from wife and you know, friends and it was mentally it was one of the things I, I could actually cope with and recovering you know, physically and getting yourself up and taking that, that side of it seriously that was 
it was almost that has come had come been programmed in of what I've done before. Right, you know, do a bit more, you know, stick to what is recommended on the program of all the doctors and stuff. Um, so that side was okay. And what then became more of a, a problem is is people's you haven't realised it, it kind of. I guess I was in a in a in a bubble of getting better for whatever that entails, but people's perceptions of you, of me, had changed based on, okay, I had an accident, had a brain injury, therefore he won't be able to do that. And suddenly, in my mind, I was recovered, and then suddenly there's another barrier of people's perceptions. And those perceptions are people that you love, through to people that you work with, through to people that may you may work with in the future. Being self-employed, they may go somewhere else because, oh, yeah, he's had this. And so it then came to a point where that would then knock my confidence so I wasn't as confident that guy. So I then sort of hid away from a bit. And it wasn't until I made the decision that when I went back to, to study at Cambridge to, yes, it was to do the career stuff, but also if I could pass academically there and then do the boat race, which is you know, elite sport as well, people wouldn't ask that question. And I went back there and I got, you don't realise gradually how much things like that do chip away your confidence. It's marriage, it's a, it was 16 years and then uh, there's a, you know, half marriages fell anyway. So it's not as though it wouldn't have failed anyway, but it, it gets a stage where <clears throat> you'd rather your kids didn't grow up in a house with, with lots of arguments and that that to then be the normal what a relationship should be. And you know, both my, my ex and me, I think are far happier, better versions of ourselves, I would say afterwards. And, um, and I, I became more confident. I fell in love with an amazing girl who, who didn't know me before. And so you, you kind of, part of you pick up from, from where you met someone without any knowledge of history or anything else. And that was incredibly refreshing. And she was, her attitude to life is something that I wish I had more of in terms of more impulsive. Let's do that. Let's do that. You know, whereas I'll be like, okay, now let's, you need to have a strategy for that. I think it's actually, you know, good for me. And so I think it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. I think it's a case of everyone deserves happiness and it, it doesn't matter how you get there. And sometimes that happiness is provided when you're apart. And like you say, you know, you, you can, you get on better and, and that's it. End of, isn't it really? As, as long as you're happy, as long as the kids are happy, as long as the ex is happy. And as, as long as the, you know, the current girlfriend is happy or whatever the situation, that's what we're, we're striving for, I think. Yeah. And, and the other, and the big part of that, which is so important is that the most important three people are the, are the kids and that they are yes the family's changed but that the support network is bigger and as strong and that i think is the you know the most important outcome i i come from a family that you know my parents split when i was seven years old i think and i even then i could tell it was for the best and genuinely at seven years old i knew i knew why it was happening my dad didn't accept it as much but i could genuinely see on the you know on the peripheral i could see why what happened happened and genuinely after that they were better people you know i the i'm one of five two brothers three sisters and the girls went to stay with mum and we lived with dad and it was a far better setup and when we actually saw each other at weekends or whatever we had the best time ever you know we got on with our sisters like me and my brother never used to we used to be that little gang and of course we've uh, let's not forget double presents which is always a bonus (laughs) you know what i mean and 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 childcare and stuff like that sometimes things were better when you know when that split happens and i genuinely believe that and like i said from a from a very young age 
whilst we're on the subject of, of of kids and stuff how how do you um because the kids you know they're a bit more grown up now how how would your normal weekend go when, when you have them what how does it work for you do you think right let's do this let's do that are they quite chilled do they want to do their own thing how does it work now well yeah that's a you know it's a really interesting question because i've got a lad who's you know 17 and girls are 9 11 and i think what the, the first thing that i had to get into my head was that okay it has been different in the last year because they're not quite been at school but their weekend is still their weekend they're just spending it with me so if they've got a sleepover and our lad wants to be out with his girlfriend or his mates and that i'm not going it's my weekend you're with me because suddenly that doesn't then, then it'll be well i don't want to go to dad's house because i want to see you know so for me it's important that they're irrespective of what they're doing that they're based here yeah so that that's the that's important part that yes the location may change but the life that just because they're going to see dad doesn't mean they don't have a sleepover or can't and so then i become in exactly the same role effectively if you know pick up the lab but when he's finished on his night out you know that sort of things and that their their weekend doesn't change that they plan because they're coming here and everything changes but i think for me the planning it having things in my head of what and having planned to do is is really really important and also being not being set in stone that if they say well i've got to go i want to go and see my friend do this then that's that's okay and also certain times just having one over mm. so that you realize you actually don't spend that much time with one-to-one you mm. only juggling three and especially when there's a big you know, there's a six-year gap between eldest and second that there's not so much that entertains them both mm. so you, you kind of i think spending one-on-one time is, is going to be a, a good thing going forward as well so yeah I don't, I don't know who's got the, the magic answer to this, but if they have, it'd be brilliant to know. Yeah, I'd like to know, please. Well, you're, you're in a similar situation. But again, quickly going back, I remember when I did go to my mum's and I love the fact that I could go in my school uniform and I could go to my mum's and that night my pyjamas were there. Or, or you get, you went home in your pyjamas because you knew there was another pyjama set there. Like, Actually, that for me is a lovely, lovely memory. Um, so what's what's the future, James? What's the What's the next project, if you can talk about it? What have you got? What plans have you got? I'm working actually. Um, actually, just written an article for a newspaper uh, this weekend. Um, it's on physical activity, and the the one thing that has really suffered is the the, the spiraling down of so many things, but also our physical health. And you know, the reality is that this isn't going to be the last airborne virus that, that heads our way. And if you if you take obesity, which is this isn't about shaming, it's about the the fact of of the risks are associated with, with poor health. You know, if you're obese, then you know, there's 113% more likelihood of being hospitalized by the virus, 74% more intensive care, and twice the chance of, of, of succumbing to it. And we are, you know, lifestyle disease is something we're in, in control of, but it needs to be supported by politicians are loath to do it, but intervention and, and good, strong strategy, because unless we're physically healthy, or healthier as a nation, the next airborne virus is really going to kick us again. And I think that's a, a good thing over that we can do over the next year. Mm. And to be honest, the the place that we can have the biggest direct are schools and in the workplace. And are you are you are you doing some sort? Of, are you are you working with anyone on this sort of thing, or is this just a passion, a personal? No, passion? It's, I think it's working with a um, with a company to, you know, to to offer these services to corporations, and then once you've got. You know, there'll be sort of suggested 
activity diet. You kind of you, you're basically screening their metabolic health, and there'll be suggestions of right. These are the levels you need to improve. Therefore, do this. And then, if you actually by doing it with a workplace, you then build up a data set, and then you can show the public health authorities right. This is works. Yeah. Now you broaden it out to um, to the general public because let's be honest, the however nice an employer is he wants an efficient workforce and a happy workforce, not just to have a happy workforce. He wants to be a productive workforce. So if a happier, healthier workforce is also a more productive workforce, it's in both parties interests and that's where you're going to get the buy-in. And then once you can show it works, then mm. you, you, you can take it to politics because the politicians, every pound they spend, they need to see a, a benefit for it at the ballot box the next time around. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be your son. It sounds amazing. It does. <laughs> and um, I think one more before we go, because we're all struggling right now because we're coming, you know, we're hopefully towards the end of, of, of lockdown here in, well, in England where we are. Um, what is the, what is the thing you're watching at the moment? The box set that's keeping you sane, if you do have one. Uh, yeah, just, well, sane, it's actually just watched. Um, it's a sin. Oh yes. So and, good. And because I, for the, it's about um, HIV in the 80s for anyone who hasn't seen it and I was I was one of 72 so it's exact I remember those the big AIDS um, junctures coming down the big whatever they call them between Prague and the BBC with the big concrete AIDS HIV slamming down and scaring but I had no idea of how much polarization of and homophobia there was then and it's horrible to watch and i think even 35 years on i think that's that still marks our prejudices mm-hmm. and you can see them in society i think it's horrendous and it's a, it's a very powerful documentary it's done incredibly well it's I, very I, powerful it's blow me away it really has the, the absolute roller coaster ride that you are taken on and like you say you're informed you're horrified you're happy you're sad the cinematography is gorgeous the story is incredible i mean the characters are just so strong it is it's one of the best bits of tv i've seen in, the, in, in a very long time with a huge powerful message it's it's fantastic the only the only problem with it and it, it needs i think it needs a warning is that you know obviously i found it very emotional ups and downs like you said I couldn't stop Jen from crying afterwards. I couldn't stop her. And, I, and I'm useless with, with women who cry, like absolutely useless. <laughs> so I was left kind of going, are you all right? Do you want a tissue? Like I reckon half an hour. Couldn't, couldn't. No, it was, it was, it was the, the same in, same in our house. And also from, from my place in, in sports, it goes against every average of how many people, how many guys, a homosexual in a given thousand in sport, that percentage is way lower. All the people who are prepared to admit it is way lower. And so it's, it was not something that the combination of being involved in, in, in a, we, we, we just trained with the men just trained together. So being involved in a predominantly male sport from a day to day basis, and also being on the drugs list from when I was 18. So you could get tested any hour of the day, 24 hours a day that you, I was just, so I just locked away from it. it just didn't come across my radar and just seeing it it was almost like watching the story from another country rather than london i grew up in london and it's yeah. just it was heartbreaking shocking and also embarrassing that i lived um, a few miles from where it was filmed it's mm-hmm. terrible yeah 
Well, there you go. If anyone hasn't seen it, then uh, you've got three people here recommending that you got do to watch it. Got to. Uh, just not with your wife, <laughs> not with your partner. Um, James, it's been it's been great to just chat. Uh, like every time we, we we speak, it feels like we should be doing it down the pub for a few hours with a beer. Um, maybe one we day. No, but thank you very much. Like, yeah, once again, like it's just really good. Just to, like really honoured to to spend some time chatting uh, about like your adventures and 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 being dad and just for your your openness. So yeah, thanks so much for for joining us. I mean, we need, I think we need to get more more sports people on. They're fascinating, yeah. aren't they? They really are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, truly, he's truly inspirational. And do you know what? As someone who loves adventure and stuff, like I really admire some of the things he's done as well. Like, I'd love to, I'd love to get out. I'd love to go get out with the kids. Like, that's the thing. I'd love to do an adventure like that. Maybe not quite as extreme, but I'd love to do that with the kids. That would be cool. You obviously uh, couldn't see what I could see because we did it over Zoom, and there was definitely a, a slight man crush there. Our eyes were were twinkling a little bit, you know. Definite man crush. Massive man crush. <laughs> uh, if you didn't listen to the David James podcast, um, please check that out as well because if you like this, you're guaranteed to like that as well. Um, and until next week, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>